Hello, and welcome to the First Person Drunk Podcast. Today, we have Danny's Own Story by Don Marquis, Chapter 7. It is being brought to you by me, Miles Tabor, The Public Domain, and Whiskey. Any errors in the reading are the fault of one of the preceding. I looks up, and that was how I got acquainted with Martha. She was eating one herself, setting up in the tree like a boy. In her lap was a book she'd been reading. She was leaning back into the fork, two limbs made so as not to tumble. Well, I says, can I have one? You've eaten it already, she says, so there isn't any use begging for it now. I seen she was a tease, that girl and I would have give anything to have been able to tease her right back again. But I couldn't think of nothing to say, so I just stands there kind of dumb-like, thinking what a dern purty girl she was, and thinking how dumb I must look, and I felt my face getting red. Dr. Kirby would have thought of something to say right off. And after I got back to camp, I would think of something myself, but I couldn't think of nothing bright, so I says, Well, then, you give me another one. She gives the core of the one she has been eating a toss at me. But I catched it and made like I was going to throw it back at her real hard. She slung up her arm and dodged back and she dropped her book. I thinks to myself, I'll learn that girl to get sassy and make me feel like a dumb head, even if she is pretty. So I don't say a word. I just picks up that book and sticks it under my arm and walks away slow with it to where there was a stump a little ways off not fur from the crick, and sits down with my back to her and opens it. And I was trying all the time to think of something smart to say to her. But I couldn't have done it if I was to be shot. Still, I thinks to myself, no girl can sass me and not get sassed back neither. I hear a scramble behind me, which I knowed was her getting out of that tree. And in a minute, she was in front of me, mad. Give me my book, she says. I only reads the name of the book out loud for to aggravate her. I had on pretty good duds, but I kind of wished I had on my engine rig then. You take the girls that always comes down to see the passenger train come into the depot in them country towns, and that engine rig of mine and Louie's always made them turn around and look at us again. I never wished I had on them engine duds so hard before in my life. But I couldn't think of nothing bright to say, so I just reads the name of that book over to myself again, kind of grinning like I got a good joke I ain't going to tell anyone. You give me my book, she says again, red as one of them harvest apples, or I'll tell Miss Hampton you stole it, and she'll have you and your show arrested. I reads the name again. It was The Lost Heir. I seen I had her good and teased now, so I says... It must be one of these here love stories by the way you take on over it. It's not, she says, getting ready to cry. And what right have you got in our wood lot anyhow? Well, I says, I was just about to move on and climb out of it when you hollered to me from that tree. I didn't, she says, but she was mad because she knowed she had spoke to me first, and she was awful sorry she had. I thought I hear you holler, I says, but I guess it must have been a squirrel. 
I said it kind of sarcastic-like, for I was still mad with myself for being so dumb when we first seen each other. I had no idea it would hurt her feelings as hard as it did, but all of a sudden she begins to wink, and her chin trembled, and she turned around short and started to walk off slow. She was mad with herself for being catched in a lie, and she was wondering what I would think of her for being so bold as to have spoke first to a fella she didn't know. I got up and followed her a little piece, and it come to me all to once I had teased her too hard, and I was down on myself for it. Say, I says, kind of tagging along beside of her, here's your old book. But she didn't make no move to take it, and her hands was over her face, and she wouldn't pull them down to even look at it. So I tried again. Well, I says, feeling real mean. I wished you wouldn't cry. I didn't go to make you do that. She drops her hands and whirls around on me, mad as a wet hen right off. I'm not. I'm not, she sings out and stamps her feet. I'm not crying. But just then she loses her hold on herself and busts out and just naturally bellows. I hate you, she says, like she could have killed me. That made me kind of dumb again. For it come to me all to once, I like that girl awful well. And here I'd up and made her hate me. I held the book out to her again and says, Well, I'm mighty sorry for that. For I don't feel that way about you at all. Here's your book. Well, sir, she snatches that book and she gives it a sling. I thought it was going to splash into the crick, but it didn't. It hit right into the fork of a limb that hung down over the crick, and it all spread out when it lit and stuck in that crotch somehow. She couldn't have slung it that way on purpose in a million years. We both stands and looks at it a minute. Oh, oh, she says, what have I done? It's out of the town library, and I'll have to pay for it. Uh, I'll get it for you, I says, but it wasn't no easy job. If I shook that limb... It would tumble into the crick, but I clumb the tree and eased out on that limb as fur as I dast to. And, of course, just as I got hold of the book, that limb broke and I fell into the crick. But I had the book. It was some soaked, but I reckoned it could still be read. I clumb out, and she was just splitting herself laughing at me. The wet on her face where she had cried wasn't dried up yet, and she was laughing right through it, kind of like the sun does to one of these here May rainstorms sometimes. And she was the purtiest girl I ever seen. Gosh, how I was getting to like that girl. And she told me I looked like a drowned rat. Well, that was how Martha and me was introduced. She wasn't more than sixteen. And when she found out I was an orphan, she was glad, for she was one herself, which Miss Hampton that lived in that house had took her to raise. And when I tells her how I've been traveling around the country all summer, she claps her hands and she says, Oh, you are on a quest? How romantic! I asked her, What is a quest? And she tells me. She knowed all about them, for Martha was considerable of a reader. Some of them was longer, and some of them was shorter than quests, but mostly, Martha says, they was for a twelve-month and a day. 
and then you are released from your vow, and one of these here queens gives you a whack over the shoulder with a sword and says, Arise, Sir Mameluke, I dove you a knife. And then it is legal for you to go out and rescue people and reform them and spear them if they don't th see things your way and come between husband and wife when they row and do a heap of good in the world. Well, there was other kinds of quests too, but mostly you married somebody or was dubbed a knight or found the party you was looking for in the end. And Martha had it all fixed up in her own mind. I was in a quest to find my father. For, says, says she... He is pretty certain to be a powerful rich man, and more than likely an earl. The way I was found, Martha says, kind of pints to the idea they was an earl mixed up in it somewhere. She had read a lot about earls and knew their ways. Maybe my mother was a earl's daughter. Earl's daughters is the worst for leaving you out in baskets, going by what Martha said. It is a kind of a habit for them for they is awful proud people. But it was a lucky way to start life, from all she said, that basket way. There was Moses was left out of that way, and when he growed up, he was made a kind of a president of the whole human race, the same as Roosevelt, and figured out the Twelve Commandments. Martha would have given anything if she could have only been found in a basket like me. I could see that. But she wasn't. She had just been left an orphan when her folks died. There wasn't even no hopes she had been changed at birth for another one. But I seen, down in under everything, Martha kind of thought maybe one of them knights might come a-prancing along and wet her in spite of herself, or she would be carried off, or something. She was a very romanceful kind of girl. When I seen she had it figured out I was in a quest for some high muckymuck for a dad, I didn't tell her no different. I didn't take much stock in them earls and knights myself. So far as I could see, they was all foreigners of one kind or another. But that thing of being into a quest kind of interested me, too. Now, how would I know him if I was to run across him, I asked, sir? You would feel an intangible something, she says, drawing you toward him. I asked her uh, what kind of a something. I make out from what she says it is some like those fellows that can find water with a piece of witch hazel switch. You take a switch of it between your thumbs and point it up. Then you shut your eyes and walk backwards. When you get over where the water is, the witch hazel stick twists around and points to the ground. You dig there and you get a good well. Nobody knows just why that stick is drawn to the ground. It is like one of those little whirligig compasses is drawn to the north. It is the same, Martha says, if you is on a quest for a father or a mother, only you have got to be worthy of that there quest, she says. The first time you meet the right one, you are drawn, just like the witch hazel. That is the intangible something working on you, she says. Martha had learnt a lot about that. The book that had fell in the crick was like that. She lent it to me. Well, that all sounded kind of reasonable to me. I'd seen that witch hazel work myself. Old Blindy Wolf, whose eyes had been dead for so many years they had turned plum white, had that gift and picked out all the places for wells that was dug in our neighborhood at home. And I makes up my mind I will watch out for that feeling of being drawed wherever I goes after this. 
You can't tell what will come of them kind of things. So pretty soon Martha has to milk the cow, and I goes along back to camp thinking about that quest and about what a pretty girl she is, which we had sat there talking so long it was nigh sundown and my clothes had dried on to me. When I got over to camp, I seen there must be something wrong. Louie was sitting in the grass under the wagon looking kind of sour and kind of worried and watching the doctor. The doctor was just inside the tent and he was looking queer too and not cheerful, which he was usually. The doctor looks at me like he don't scarcely know me, which he don't. He has one of them quiet kind of drunks on, which Louie explains is bound to come ever so often. He don't do nothing mean, but just gets low-spirited and won't talk to no one. Then all of a sudden, he will go downtown and walk up and down the main streets, orderly but looking hard into people's faces, mostly women's faces. Once, Louis says, they was big trouble over it. They was in a store in a good-sized town, and he took hold of a woman's chin and tilted her face back and looked at her hard and most scared her to death, and they was nearly being a riot there, and he was jailed and had to pay a big fine. Since then, Louis always follows him around when he is that away. Well, that night, Dr. Kirby is too fur gone for us to have our show. He just sits and stares and stares at the fire, and his eyes look like there is another fire inside of his head, and he is hurting outside and in. Louie and me watches him from the shadows for a long time before we turns in, and the last thing I seen before I went to sleep was him sitting there, with his face in his hands, staring, and his lips moving now and then like he was talking to himself. The next day, he is asleep all morning, but that day he don't drink anymore, and Louis says maybe it ain't going to be one of the regular pifflicated kind. I seen Martha again that day, too. Twice I has talks with her. I told her about the doctor. Is he into a quest, do you think? I asked her. She says she thinks it is remorse for some crime he has done. But I couldn't figure Dr. Kirby would have done none, so... That night after the show, I says to him, innocent-like, Dr. Kirby, what is a quest? He looks at me kind of queer. Wherefore, says he, is this sudden thirst for enlightenment? I just ran across the word accidental-like, I told him. He looks at me awful hard, his eyes just naturally digging into me. I felt like he knowed I had set out to pump him. I wished I hadn't tried it. Then he tells me, a quest is a hunt. And I'm glad that's over with. But it ain't. But pretty soon he says, Danny, did you ever hear of Lady Clara Vandevere? No, I says, who is she? A lady friend of Lord Tennyson's, he says, whose manners were above reproach. Well, I says, she sounds kind of like a medicine to me. Lady Clara, he says, and all the other Verdevers were people with manners we should try to imitate. 
If Lady Clara had been here last night when I was talking to myself, Danny, her manners wouldn't have let her listen to what I was talking about. I didn't listen, I says, for I seen what he was driving at now with them vir-de-virs. He thought I had asked him what a quest was because he was on one. I was certain of that now. He wasn't quite sure what he had been talking about, and he wanted to see how much I had him. I thinks to myself, it must be a awful funny kind of hunt he is on if he only hunts when he is in that fix. But I acted real innocent, and like my feelings was hurt, and he believed me. Pretty soon, he says, cheerful like, There was a girl talking to you today, Danny. Maybe there was, I says, and maybe there wasn't. But I felt my face getting red all the same, and was mad because it did. He grinned, kind of aggravating at me, and says some poetry at me about in the spring a young man's frenzy likely turns to thoughts of love. Well, I says, kind of sheepish-like, this is summertime and uh, pretty nigh autumn. Then I seen I'd just as good as owned up I liked Martha and was kind of mad at myself for that. But I told him some more about her, too. Somehow I just couldn't help it. He laughs at me and goes on into the tent. I laid there and looked at the fire for quite a spell outside the tent. I was thinking, if all them tales wasn't just darn foolishness, how I wished I would really find a dad that was a high muckymuck and could come back in an automobile and take her away. I laid there for a long, long time. It must have been for a couple of hours. I supposed the doctor had went to sleep. But all of a sudden, I looks up, and he is in the door of the tent, staring at me. I seen he had been in there at it hard again, and thinking, quiet-like, all this time. He stood there, in the doorway of the tent, with the firelight onto his face and his red beard, and his arms stretched out, holding to the canvas and looking at me, strange and wild. And then he moved his hand up and down at me, and he says, If she's fool enough to love you, treat her well, treat her well. For if you don't, you can never run away from the hell you're carrying your own heart. And he kind of doubled up and pitched forward when he said that. And if I hadn't catched him, he would have fell right across the fire. He was plumb pifflicated. That is Danny's Own Story, Chapter 6, presented by First Person Drunk, brought to you by me, Miles Tabor, The Public Domain, and Delicious Whiskey.